The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The most important thing about your business could be how your products are packaged. Packaging is the signature that you leave everywhere, and it speaks volumes about who you are and what you do. This is Ditch the Box with David Marinak. In today's show, we'll talk about marketing, increased sales, and how it relates to product packaging. Have you explored alternatives like flexible packaging? You should. It can save your company a bundle. Now, here is David Marinak. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ditch the Box, the marketing slash flexible retail packaging slash how to build your brand radio show. I'm David Marinak, your host. As you know, our show is about marketing and flexible retail packaging with a few other related topics in between, such as how to build your brand, dealing with major retailers, and even supply chain. Our guest today is Andrew Cousins. Andrew is an international packaging entrepreneur with a reputation internationally for bringing packaging customers and producers together for success. Born in Cape Town, Africa, Andrew followed in his father's footsteps and founded his own firm during university, working on packaging projects in the rigid packaging industry. From the successes here, he joined Guala Closures, South Africa, and drove the international business model, expanding the firm into new creative markets for wine packaging. In 2008, he was asked to join Paxis Global in Switzerland as a packaging specialist in the international sales team. Traveling all over the world, he's built packaging factories in countries as diverse as Ukraine, India, and Croatia. As he took up the entrepreneurial role once again, his new wine packaging company took him to the UK, to Spain, and then to California, where he first met the flexible packaging market, namely stand-up pouches directly in an international interesting project for wine and stand-up pouches. Impressed by the range of options, he expanded into this new world and soon wound up working with Cellpack Packaging, a dynamic Swiss firm specializing in finding the solutions to impossible flexible packaging problems. Andrew lives in Bern, Switzerland, together with his wife, two small children, and an old Chevrolet Camaro. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much, Dave. Uh, from my side, it's just a, a pleasure to, to be on the show and uh, have the chance to chat about something that's uh, so interesting to both of us. Yes, but you know what? Even more interesting is that old Chevrolet Camaro. Tell me about that one. Well, that's a 1999 uh, Chevrolet Camaro uh, RS. And uh, I must say, uh, in terms of power and noise, it's the best car I've ever had. When it comes to leaking and uh, rusting, it does that <laughs> equally well. Um, but I have to say, it only leaks on the passenger side. So from my perspective as the driver, it's a fabulous piece of machinery. You know? well, uh, I will, well, I will tell you, I have a new um, Chevy Camaro. And- oh, and I bought the the new one based upon the old. So I was in, I was totally excited about the old Camaros. But when they came out with that new style that really goes back into that retro late '60s, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. when I bought one. So I am also a Camaro fan, and it's too funny that we 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 had that in common from the very beginning. It's too bizarre. Right. 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a special car, and uh, I've got to say, I can't believe I waited so long. <laughs> it's muscle. That's what it is. That's the best way to describe it. It's muscle. I know Justin's back in HQ, going like, "What are these guys talking about Camaros?" But that's okay. We'll uh, we'll get the packaging here in a second. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so let's go back to early in your career. You founded your own firm, working on projects in the rigid packaging industry. Tell us more about the firm itself and what types of projects you worked on. Well, basically, the way it started was I, I ran out of money in university uh, during my master's project. Like and, the rest uh, of us, by the way, I might yeah. add. <laughs> and uh, I suddenly realized I, I had a way to sort of uh, sell some ideas and, and rent some equipment. And I, I rapidly started using the university test laboratories to do a bunch of testing. And uh, this grew into actually quite a, a successful business, um, which, to cut a long story short, um, resulted in me working with uh, two teams, one on uh, beverage cans for the new Red Bull launch back then, as well as uh, ice cream tubs. And uh, this was my total entry into the combination of food and engineering, and I, I never looked back. That's fascinating. So I remember, and it's, it's funny you mentioned Red Bull, because I remember being approached years and years and years ago um, about this new product, quote unquote, that was going to revolutionize the world. Um, and it was Red Bull, of course. But they were, they were coming after us for, um, oh, it was more of packaging for a small little tabletop um, cooler. Um, and, and it was almost like a little refrigerator is probably the better way to put it. And that they were planning on selling these um, anytime they they would find a new distributor or a retailer or you know like a convenience store, but everybody would have these little these little refrigerators on the you know on the desk as you check out or you know you leave your club or whatever. And I remember thinking to myself, "Oh, this product's never going to fly. Who's going to buy a caffeinated drink? That's silly." Yeah, how much? How much? Well, I was wrong. Goodness gracious, that thing has printed money since the day it started. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I remember when they, they described the can that they, they wanted to make and launch it in South Africa and, of course, all the filling lines. And, I mean, the, the hardened professionals said, what? You know, what kind of crazy idea is this? It's never going to fly. And, as you said, look where, look where we are today. I mean, it uh, has totally re- created an entire industry by itself. Well, uh, exactly. And that can has pretty much become synonymous with when you think Red Bull. I mean, everybody else has tried to copy it, but that – that smaller size can is just that's just they're one and the same it's crazy no it's it's uh, when you look back uh, i mean uh, on on a, the the packaging industry every time someone comes along with a new idea people say it'll never work and yeah. uh, look where we are now <laughs> <laughs> all right so what made you even think about getting into the rigid packaging industry how did that even I mean, it was a, I, obviously the desperation in the college and the whole bit. It, it, I get that. But what was it that kind of took you there? Were you drawn to that? Did somebody? Did you know somebody in, in the industry? Well, what you could say is South Africa uh, in particular is a very traditional packaging market. And there's a huge brand association uh, connected with packaging. I mean, if you take the number one peanut butter brand in South Africa, Black Cat Peanut Butter, it has been in glass with a metal cap. For I, I think forever, I think since number one back in, I don't know, 1922. And the guys don't want to move. There's a huge association that the marketing guys put onto basically uh, rigid packaging. It's kind of something that they're scared to move away from. Uh, and because you've got this sort of captive market, uh, no one wants to be the first to take a risk and step away from a tried and trusted solution. Um, and so 
flexible, uh, flexible packaging was viewed as something strange, and rigid packaging was uh, you know where the, the serious guys did business. And right. naturally, I I followed this this thought pattern. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. I know I'm digressing here a little bit, but we I was just interviewing somebody yesterday, and that really kind of came up too, is so often in the U.S., uh, and it's interesting you mentioned the same thing, um, these big established brands are very, very, they're like trying to move the Titanic, if you will, you know, while mm-hmm. the Titanic that's sunk, but I mean, trying to move a cruise ship. Um, and, and it's just because they're so slow to kind of change. And um, the world could be burning around them, if you will, and they're going to keep sticking with their, you know, peanut butter in a in a glass jar, and and it's just so frustrating is the wrong word. It's just tiring. It's just one of those things that you found early on, and I'm still finding it here in the states that you know getting people to change and and I the sixty four thousand dollar question for both of us is how do you get them to change and. And, you know, a lot of these people, these old, tired, stale brands are afraid to change. They have um, or the people that are behind that are afraid um, because if they make a mistake, you know, that could cost them their job. Or if they make a mistake, they look really, really bad. And unfortunately, they don't look at the upside. Well, it could also be very, very good. You know, it could be that Red Bull um, that kind of came in in a, in a strange can that all of a sudden took off like, uh, you know, like uh, hot hotcakes. So, yeah. you know, it just it, it's interesting because we're talking about the same thing, that people get stuck in fear and they never really change. It's crazy. Yeah, what you could say is, uh, you know, the way flexible packaging came in is if you think about how long we've had rigid packaging, think a lot about how long we've had glass bottles. The, the sort of perspective is is a bit mixed, and I think there's a there's this the biggest thing is fear, and I think if if you were to put the the that as you say sixty four thousand dollar question, it's that too often guys in flexible packaging think like flexible packaging, whereas the guys in rigid packaging can only think like rigid packaging. So you right. need a guy who knows the advantages of flexible, but can speak rigid. In other words, he says your package gives you this and this and this and this. And you want exactly that. You don't have to sacrifice. You're not sort of stepping out uh, off the cliff like Indiana Jones in what was it? The search for yeah, the, right. the Holy Grail or whatever it yeah. was. You know, you're not stepping out. You you've got all this uh, this backup, but you're not sacrificing. Whereas I think a lot of the guys, it's kind of you know one, uh, like here in Europe, it's it's two different languages. Uh, and until you get someone who can speak both of them, uh, you've got uh, sort of not even animosity. You've just got a lot of of questions that remain unanswered. That's a, that's a great point. And, and again, if we could really and truly get past that um, that fear factor, and and like you said, guys like us that can kind of speak intelligently about both sides of the table or sides of the coin, um, you know, is is one thing. But it's almost internally at these organizations where they feel um, I don't want to say compelled, but they feel supported. Um, that, you know, it's okay to make a mistake or it's okay to try something new is probably a better way to put it. Mm, mm. Because so often these, these bigger companies, these bigger brands are just stuck in their ways and it's just really kind of sad. It, it's, it's not comical. It's not funny. It's sad because they're costing themselves uh, bigger opportunities and they're smaller, more nimble companies um, like yours, like mine, that, that really kind of can turn on a dime and these guys are still stuck in their ways with their, you know, like your peanut butter. Or I see a lot in, this, in the States here with rice uh, mm-hmm. in a glass or a big, heavy plastic jar. And it's kind of like, 
what are you, or protein powder. That's another one you'll see in five gallon pails or something. <laughs> and it's like, what are you doing? This is crazy. So, you know, that, that in and of itself is just, is just nutty. So anyhow, I digress. So uh, that's, that's not a problem. So you had meant, okay. So um, when you look back at, at that time, back in those early days, what were some, and we've got a few more minutes before break, what were any of those aha moments back in those early days that really kind of stuck with you, if you, if you would kind of term it that way? I think what a, uh, the, the, probably the, the biggest moment came when uh, we started to see this huge uh, revolution in uh, wine packaging. From what was basically a thousand-year-old glass bottle, glass bottle with a, with a cork in it, you found that the young guys, energetic guys, were starting to have success using different forms of packaging. Be it the metal closure that you've got, trying some different things. These guys were enjoying success and also running at a higher price margin, especially in the large volumes. And the market started to gain momentum. And once the market likes something, once it works. There's no stopping it. And I remember one of the most diehard guys who refused to change his packaging threw the sales guys out of the office. It never came back. Within a year, we got the call. He said, guys, I need to change my packaging. And you can't stop, you can't stop progress. Well, I agree 100%. And that's such a great that's, oh, that's such a great segue. I know a lot of times before we get together with these, these interviews, you and I will chat about some ideas where we want to go. You've really kind of turned this, and, I, and I'm going to stay there. We've got to, we've got to have a quick break here in a second, but I really just want to pick up with the wine packaging because mm-hmm. you brought up some really cool things. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in picking your brain for our audience's sake and also mine selfishly because they can't – we can't get people to change and move here on the wine packaging, if you will, in something that, that is traditionally in a glass bottle. And I can't wait to ask you questions um, about your experience and kind of how you got them to kind of finally um, make those changes. So I'm, I'm going to kind of take us to a quick break here. Um, we're here with Andrew, Andrew Cousins. And um, stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. You've got a great product. And it's now on the store shelves at all the major big box retailers. So what's the problem? You are getting squeezed. Cost reductions are demanded from the retailers, and they are not letting up. So what are you going to do? You can give in and watch your margins disappear and hope you can make them up with other clients or with other products. You can say no and watch the retailers make deals with your competitors. Or you could say yes because you've discovered a way to increase your margins and even get lost margins back. At StandUpPouches.net, we live and breathe flexible retail packaging. We have factories that can run as few as 5,000 pieces and scale to millions without any change in quality. We are ISO 9000 and ISO 14000 approved and offer complete supply chain solutions using our Ohio warehouse. Your retail packaging is the voice of your brand. Don't use inferior packaging. Choose packaging that not only protects, but keeps products fresher for longer while building your brand. To learn more, visit us at www.standuppouches.net or call us at 866-440-2123. 
Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Engage with Andy Bush takes you inside the mind of a top global market and public policy analyst who has been featured regularly on CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and numerous radio and television programs. Our program will bring you guests and stories from the top of the political and business worlds. Each show includes Andy's point of view roundup and what it means for you at home. Life's complicated. Let Andy help you figure it out. Tune in every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Ditch the Box with David Marinak. If you'd like more information about our program, send David an email to david at standuppouches.net. That's david at standuppouches.net. Now, back to Ditch the Box. Welcome back to Ditch the Box, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking with my buddy, Andrew Cousins, from overseas right now in Bern, Australia. So, Andrew, right before we went to break, we had mentioned a little bit uh, about the slow but sure kind of embracing. Uh, embracing may not be the right word, but you are having success in wine packaging right now overseas. Tell us what the experience, A, I guess take it from the beginning, what that, what that, you know, how hard it was for you to even introduce something as radical as flexible packaging, a new style of wine packaging um, in a tired and uh, an old state industry, if you will, and, and kind of take us through that, that whole evolution. Well, maybe let me use a, a kind of a, a story. You know, we, we approached, I mean, in uh, South Africa, in Cape Town, we were making uh, closures for spirits and things like that, but nothing for wine. And sure, it, it sort of appeared on the market in Australia and New Zealand, but there was nobody really in South Africa doing anything. And the big guys were like, seriously, our packaging has looked the same since the 1700s. You know, the label, the name, I mean, we're not touching this. Um, so these guys weren't moving. But we were approached um, by a group of guys who'd studied winemaking at, at university uh, who had some great ideas to launch a new kind of young, energetic, brightly colored uh, uh, wine range at the London Wine Show. And uh, they needed six or seven different colors of, of uh, closures and different labels and, and bottles and everything in very small numbers, a few hundred of each. And I mean, this is a huge factory that thunders out our product. And it took a tremendous amount of negotiation between the sales guys and this company to convince uh, the CEO to say, okay, I'm basically going to shut down a production line and make almost nothing for an entire day. Now, you sold me. And with a tremendous amount of complaining, we put through these. It was about seven uh, different colors. And it was stuff you've never seen on wine in South Africa. You know, it was bright orange, bright yellow, bright blue, bright green. I mean, everyone looked at it and said, this is crazy. Off they went to the London Wine Show, and within, uh, let me see, and basically they, are there, they were a, a blender. So they didn't make wine, they bought and blended. They went up right. to the London Wine Show sometime in 2006, end of 2006. By, 2000, by the end of 2007, the start of 2008, 
they rapidly approached position of biggest client of the factory. They were, we dedicated the entire production line just to handle their closures in all these colors. The now, let, me, let me just stop you really quick just to clarify. The closures are closures for wine bottles at that point. Is that correct? Have we, yeah, have we yeah, switched? Okay, got it. Okay, what do you cool. say? Is you got to say what you, the, what you got to look at is kind of the, the process. What you had is you had a cork uh, in a bottle with the, with the label with some sort of crest. Got then it, you got move, like the, basically the first tip of the iceberg was this move from the cork into this closure and basically the color change. You're still in a, you're still in a glass bottle. But what you've done is you've launched something that is totally ignored by the major industry and is massively accepted from the convenience factor uh, of the market. And from there comes now into the whole, now you get into the next step after this. I mean, we're still going back almost 10 years now. Uh, The next step after this was into PET bottles, into pouches, and with a whole bunch of other fancy things in the more designer side of things. But what you had was a real breakthrough where you had a packaging that hadn't changed in a thousand years, all of a sudden completely trying to reinvent itself. And I, and I, and I love the fact, and I can definitely hear it because I've been there, you're getting a company that says, we're going to shut down a production line for an entire day to try this new style of packaging, right? I heard that correct. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I can only imagine, and props to you and your team for going through it, but I can only imagine the head shaking and the head scratching and the what is this Andrew Cousins guy and his team doing? Are they out of their mind? Um, and it's that is not an easy thing to do. Um, if anybody's been on the manufacturing floor, especially something that's been like that since the 1700s, uh, really and truly for hundreds of years, that's insane. And and then, of course, you need to get the buy-in of the people that are running the equipment. Let's just not just say a plant manager, but, you know, you've got to get people that are willing to try something new. Then you've got to be able to kind of convince them and show them that this is going to work. Because let's face it, Andrew, if you had a problem, and I'm sure there were glitches, but if you had a problem, a major problem that the closures were breaking or they're busting open or they couldn't hold the wine, your day was done. Let's admit it. That day was over. Mm-hmm. So props to you guys to be able to get to that point where your closures actually performed and you were able to take it to the next level and get into smaller bottles and then flexible pouches and, and, and et cetera. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the pouch side of thing came once I came to Switzerland. That's a little bit later. But what's uh, sort of on the end of that, this, this first step, and I mean, this really was a first step. If you look further on, three or four years, we'd even changed the tiles in the factory and completely how we sold, how we consulted. Like, in other words, the requirements of the, 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 the wine packaging guy were completely different to the staid customers at the factory it had for 50 years. It was 50 years old at this time, and some of the machines had been there since day one. And how we did business and how we spoke to customers and how we looked at decoration and how we looked at performance and function and all the kind of uh, things that you need in wine completely changed. You would not recognize the factory from one year to the next. And how we became from a sort of a standard ugly production center into a packaging consultancy center about coming with your problems and we give you solutions. It was a great experience down there. Let's 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 stay there because this again is very very fascinating, and I'm and I'm grateful um, for you even sharing this. So you go in there with a couple hundred of these different colors of of closures at that particular point, yeah, yeah. Right? 
and um, and you filled your wine. And what happened next? You took those to the wine show, and what did people when they saw those at the wine show, for example? It must have been intriguing enough for people to kind of go back or, or you guys to go back to the manufacturer and say, let's keep, let's stay with us, right? What was that reaction like at the London Wine Show? Well, the, the biggest thing is that you had, uh, granted it was in a standard bottle, but you had a, a closure and a color and a pack design yep. that had no place in a wine show. You know, it had no place. It looked uh, maybe on a, a soft drink show or something like that. And so it attracted attention. This is really bright. This is it's loud. It's telling me what's it, what's in it. You know, it's yeah. explaining to me how yeah. the new, new packaging. Uh, they 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 went off. They made little tags that they put on. It explains how the new packaging actually uh, provides a more consistent performance than the old packaging. That's and brilliant. yeah, and you could say that the it was it's a combination. It's the guys who are drinking this. Not all of them are experts, but a lot of them are young guys who now find that all of a sudden this market, which was very sort of belong to the connoisseur is now accessible because it's changed its image. And without this, this sort of like uh, decoration, bright packaging, sort of artwork consultation side, the function. Now, that's something that's, something that's another story. But without this sort of uh, really bright, punchy look to it, um, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. Uh, well, and and you mentioned something interesting too that I'm going to stay with because we run into this in our in our both of us in our flexible packaging world. You know, it's so often people get caught up in these major overhauls of their brand, and and that and it may happen where they need to change all the graphics or whatever it is. But you've stayed with this a few times, and you mentioned a few times colors. The colors were mm-hmm. so vibrant. The colors were so different. They, they drew a tra- it drew attention, and a lot of times. That is probably one of the easiest ways for any client to really kind of brighten up or refresh their brand to really and truly kind of pop those colors, change those colors and, and, you know, go ahead and get attention, you know, because at the end of the day, you said it a few times, it drew attention to this new style of packaging, but a new style of closure at at the time on a wine bottle and, any attention, as they say, any PR is good PR. Um, that's a very, very you know inexpensive uh, way to to really drive traffic, traffic drive attention, um, you know, to a particular type of packaging. It's absolutely brilliant. It's very, very cool. You can see it in the U.S. today. Like if you are near any kind of of store that stocks wine, just pay attention um, uh, over a period of a year as to the colors that you see. And as to the logos and the names and to see how many of the guys switch from the cork to this cap. And it's still happening. It's, it's unstoppable because it brings benefits. You, you can't argue with it. And especially when uh, in today's world where you're looking for every edge, it's, uh, it's, it can't be stopped. Well, uh, and I can hear a lot of times, and again, this goes back to one of our earlier chats in the, um, in the, in the previous segment, is um, they tend to, and I know you went through this, um, you know, you get, the, you get the old fuddy-duddies that go, well, it's plastic, the wine, it'll affect the taste of the wine, or um, it'll, it'll all of a sudden degrade over time and the bottle of fine wine will be ruined. What kind of pushback did you get? Because you are inserting something that's radically different than a cork. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this color thing, and let's, let's face it, color also, like we just said, draws attraction, and or attention, and if you get that attention of somebody who comes in and goes, "Oh, that plastic is going to taste like plastic." Did you have any of those th- those pushback pushback comments? 
Exactly right. I mean, you, it, it was an entirely new way of doing it. Now, you've got to say it's a, you know, it's a small, small difference maybe in size, but in terms of, of performance, it's completely the other way. And many guys, including guys in the U.S., did big, big trials before they moved. Um, but every trial that went, you know, the packaging performed exactly like it was. What you, what you do have is when you look at the way that you manufacture uh, a liner, which is basically your contact surface, is very sim- which is basically a, it's a plastic contact surface with the wine, but you have different barriers in there, uh, right. it's tremendously consistent. So you know exactly what's there. You know exactly the organoleptic properties. In other words, what's going into the wine, what's coming out. When you, and when you do it with cork, the way you produce it, it's a natural product, but the way you actually manufacture it and add silicon uh, lubricants and all sorts of things like that. You introduce a whole bunch of inconsistencies into sure, what yeah. exactly is contacting your wine. And this was the most amazing thing is the guy said, you predicted exactly how the wine would taste after six months and, you'd, and it tasted like that. Why can't we get that from the cork, from the, the cork procedure? And I said, because whilst it's, it is natural, you have a huge amount of manufacturing uh, sort of variation that goes into it. So you end up with a lot of wine that's not where you want it to be. And that is actually where your loss starts to come in. And the guy said, well, I don't make enough wine to, to lose because I have inconsistencies in my packaging. I want to make sure every, every liter gets onto the shelves. And that's what, that's what the new packaging gave. And that's why it pushes because it makes the wine taste like the winemaker wants to. And the winemaker is passionate about the wine. That's what he wants. He's, he doesn't understand packaging, but what he does understand is he wants his name to taste great at the table. And when you yep, go with yep. a, a manufactured product like that, you can guarantee it. Uh, you, you're so spot on, and we're going to stay with us. We're going to take a quick, quick break again, and I, I told you we're going to fly through this. But the one thing that I'm going to stay with after the break is you did something that was really, really, really clever. Sounds kind of cheesy. It wasn't. You turned the, 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 their objection of or potential objection of the plastic – into, hey, let's look at the cork. What kind of inconsistency you're getting with cork? And you actually flipped that to an advantage. You actually made the plastic much more consistent, which it was, and you took them and put the f- emphasis on the cork. And they went, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, maybe the cork is part of an issue. So I'm, anyhow, we're going to take a quick break. Brilliant, Andrew. I, I could talk with you forever. This is awesome. <laughs> um, folks, we're going to take a short break. Um, sit t- stay tuned. We're going to be right back. Thanks. What is the Serve Hour? Well, to start, it's a different kind of listening experience. It's one that involves you. Host Jim Blackburn and his engaging guests in some very provocative and opinion-shaping conversations you'll hear and be invited to participate in that will challenge traditional beliefs about management and today's workplace. Also, these conversations will help you look at yourself and your work differently. Make it your business to tune into Voice America Business for The Serve Hour, live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time. It will shake you awake. You've got a great product, and it's now on the store shelves at all the major big box retailers. So what's the problem? You are getting squeezed. Cost reductions are demanded from the retailers, and they are not letting up. So what are you going to do? You can give in and watch your margins disappear and hope you can make them up with other clients or with other products. You can say no 
and watch the retailers make deals with your competitors. Or you could say yes, because you've discovered a way to increase your margins and even get lost margins back. At StandUpPouches.net, we live and breathe flexible retail packaging. We have factories that can run as few as 5,000 pieces and scale to millions without any change in quality. We are ISO 9000 and ISO 14000 approved and offer complete supply chain solutions using our Ohio warehouse. Your retail packaging is the voice of your brand. Don't use inferior packaging. Choose packaging that not only protects, but keeps products fresher for longer while building your brand. To learn more, visit us at www.standuppouches.net or call us at 866-440-2123. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report, every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. My guest this week was Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under President Clinton, Mr. Henry Cisneros, who will be here to talk about 13 trends which make investing in real estate in urban centers a sure bet. Don't miss Henry Cisneros this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Ditch the Box with David Marinak. If you'd like more information about our program, send David an email to david at standuppouches.net. That's david at standuppouches.net. Now, back to Ditch the Box. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Ditch the Box. We're talking with Andrew Cousins, initially with Cousins Wine Packaging. Um, But, Andrew, we're having so much fun talking about wine packaging, I don't want to I don't want to get too far from some of the other great topics that that kind of led a you and I to connect um, and the flexible packaging world, but um, but also your take on the, on the industry in general and and your um, viewpoints from um, you know overseas and and you know how things kind of relate here to the states. There's so much stuff we can go to. So anyhow, but let's just wrap up the the segment we were talking about a little bit ago. About the so you finished up at the London the London um, uh, wine show, you've got this great closures. What kind of time frame was it uh, once you kind of came back at that particular point that um, that I guess you could say the light bulb went off? Did it take like a year or so for them to continue? Um, was it a hard uh, sell after you had some some initial success at the London wine show? Um, you know, wrap that up for me as far as where that whole thing went from this new vibrant closure on wine packaging. Yeah. So let me, let me try and put, uh, put a, a, some timelines to it. I think we delivered that to say towards the end or towards the end of 2006. And I've got to say, by the time we put in the second, I mean, it was a slow start because there was a tremendous amount of unknowns. But when we put in the second production line, dedicated to this new style of closure for wine in 2008 when the line was fully sold out 24 hours a day before it was installed um so it was it was a the market exploded no no i mean it went from being how do we say uh a niche product with some fancy color to being the number one product of the of the factory uh by a large margin it exploded and it uh it's uh, still uh, under full production today. And then they, they convert other lines over? Do they still just stay yep. with that one? Okay, unbelievable. No, you totally turned the way the factory worked. I mean, uh, the 
it changed. Yeah, the way it looked when you w- walked in, say in 2006, it was a typical drab sort of decoration from 1982 uh, factory, and, and due purely to wine packaging and new ideas and new colors. We did. Let's see. The firm did in uh, let's say in 2000. Yeah, call it in 2003 or four. In terms of color designs for closures, let's even say color designs specifically that you could use on wine, maybe, I don't know, 50, <laughs> 50 new wow. designs. And right. in 2007, they did 700, 600 or 700 new designs. Oh. I mean, everything you can imagine. I mean, everything, every color, every name, every format, every launch. I mean, it, it, the, the, the market exploded and it, it uh, almost killed us, almost killed me. Uh, (laughs) Well, that's that's such a great tie in because that really so that evolved um, that kind of, you know, again, we were talking about a closure at the time for wine, but that so take us from there that kind of connected you with cell pack and that that connected with you with the flexible packaging industry even further. Tell Mm -hmm. us or connect those dots, if you will. Well, we bought so much machinery for this that I got involved with a firm in Switzerland that eventually after buying so much, they invited me over uh, to be a packaging specialist. So I, this was my big move to Europe. It was very exciting. And I still had my, my ties with, uh, with South Africa. And I was exposed to a market that was uh, sort of still on the uptake on this new, new packaging style. And it's still, still growing. Now, I then uh, worked with him for several years and started my own firm still based on my passion, which is packaging. I went from back from machines to packaging. And during this time, had tremendous success. Some of the stuff I designed is actually uh, in California, some of the closures I worked on. Then I was contacted by a French firm. Uh, the French guys, I have to say, when it comes to packaging in design and logos, they are very aggressive. They're keen to try new ideas. Their creativity explodes. And the guys were looking for, they contacted my firm, and they were looking for wine in a pouch. And I've got to say, I, at, until that time, I did not have a name for a stand-up pouch. I did not know. I'd seen it in the shops, but I, you know, I had to go and look it up. And actually, around about that time, that's when I came across your website. And I was like, wow, what is this? You know? And then I found some in my, in, my, uh, in my cupboard, and I was like, no ways. Long story short, I sat down with a fantastic team from this firm, Cellpack in, in Switzerland. And they put on the table this stand-up pouch and all the different sizes Massively with decoration. You could build in whatever kind of oxygen permeability, light permeability, functions, pores, whatever you wanted. They could build it in uh, just by sort of mix and match. And I mean, on rigid packaging in wine, you are locked in. Even on this new field, you are locked in very heavily to a limited number of suppliers. Everything has to work together. And you have to buy everything from a whole different bunch of guys. The box from someone, the bottle, the closure. It's all a mix. Whereas here... I suddenly found, are you serious? You can tailor-make what you want in the factory, and they complete the entire package for you, and then they take it down to the laboratory, and they tell you exactly how it's functioning. I was just blown away. And I said, I've been beating on a market that is uh, still very traditional, whereas here, the possibilities are endless. I was just completely impressed. You know what? It's it's interesting, too. Um, You're right on. So we wrapped up last segment. We were talking about how you guys had turned 
what looked like a disadvantage, if you will, into an advantage where you took this closure and the property of the closure and saying, hey, this is very consistent. We can dial in and really and truly give you statistical data, if you will, on how this plastic closure is going to work and how it's going to perform. Whereas the cork, back to the earlier segment, is really kind of all over the place. And you just said the same thing really about the flexible packaging industry, which is what one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about it as well, is that you can dial in exactly what you need based upon what you're packaging. You know, so often um, people assume, and I know it's silly, but they assume that one size fits all, and they assume that all plastic's the same. And, you know, in our world of flexible packaging, yours and mine, this is layers of laminated material. Every layer has a purpose. You know, one, you know, you could have seven, eight, nine, ten layers, if you will, of different types of, of material that are laminated together. Not that you would, but you could. Um, but the, what I'm getting at is that, you know, you've got one layer for, for puncture resistance, one layer for barrier, one layer for your print layer, your printing, one layer for that heat sealability to close the thing. And, and all that kind of stuff, one layer, of course, for food grade, which is usually that, that sealer closure. But what I'm getting at is, you're absolutely right. You, you can literally go to the laboratory and say, I'm packaging oily chia seeds or no, let's say oily uh, coffee beans and I need a barrier that's going to do X, that's going to keep it fresh for X, that's going to protect that flavor and, and aroma for so many days or so many months or so many years even. And that's the beauty of this. One of the real beauties of this industry is that you can dial it right in, like from the laboratory, and you hit that spot on. It's fascinating to me as well. Now, this this for me was a, a kind of a, a sort of a real eye opener because I mean I know how hard it was to kind of sell on just a few items and just a few uh, just a few properties, and all of a sudden you realize that because you've got so much flexibility in flexible packaging, I had to put that in there somewhere. I know, I know. Uh, nice job. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you can approach a whole bunch of industries. You know, you can come up with a solution, and then all of a sudden, it works across a range of products. Now, you've got the advantage here uh, in Europe that uh, stuff is, is tremendously uh, money-driven. There's a there's a big pressure from the sort of the major chains to really squeeze every cent. So, when you can offer something that works just as well as uh, a rigid packaging, sure, but uh, gives you all the properties, but takes up none of the space. Uh, it's a fantastic solution. And uh, there was a, a chocolate firm that switched from rigid to flexible exactly for that. Now, and because actually in the end, the flexible packaging provided a better container for the liquid chocolate that gets shipped all around the world than the rigid packaging because you could build in that the contact layer was a really special contact layer that put absolutely nothing into the chocolate. You can right. make it thin enough so that your your uh, your cost is not exorbitant. Where with rigid packaging, the guys have kind of got to shoot it in the middle a little bit because they can't make the entire canister out of this material. And uh, these uh, chocolate guys were excited because they had now a real solution, and we were excited because we got some chocolate. Uh, well, well it, but stay with that for a second because you know you had motivated, interested people, and, and I, your client, the chocolate firm at the time, mm-hmm. right? And we run into, and I know you do as well, you run into those people, like we were talking earlier, that are in the glass, the rigid packaging, that are so stuck in their ways, and they are afraid to move. And 
what do you find? And I know that's probably a, a bigger question here, but we've got a few minutes left in this break. But how do you get, you know, it's one thing when you've got somebody that's interested in, in making a move because their bottles cost too much or their jars cost too much or they take up too much space or cost, you know, the energy that it, it takes to produce. But what when you have some of those other people who are just like, I'm not changing this thing. I'm, I'm not going to get out of a wine bottle or a glass jar. It's, I'm going to keep my peanut butter in this jar. How do you kind of combat that, if you will, to kind of get somebody to, to look at the advantages of flexible packaging? I guess the, uh, the biggest thing is you kind of do a little bit of a comparison where you kind of at least show that theoretically this is exactly where you want to be. Um, and depending on the size of the group, um, the number one thing that, or the size of the client, the number one thing to do is actually a storage test. Right. You put the material, be it cheese, be it chocolate, be it whatever, in the equivalent package. And you say, right, guys, I'm going to sit in there for 20 days, 30 days, one month, two months. Sometimes when you're dealing with like dental glue and, and things, the guys want it in there for six months before right. they're convinced. So the big guys, you have to really drill your way in. It's not an overnight stuff. Uh, there's definitely two types of approach. For me, the, the older the packaging, the more you have to sit down and really – convince you know it's easy to say come on guys the market is moving and they're like come on we're number one right sit down right. Uh, right. and really actually sit with the guys and say look let's let's have let's have a look at you go all your way from what you see the the pressure in the on the shelves in the shops and you go all the way down uh till you're talking to the food specialist or the chemist and you're saying exactly what you want out of your rigid packaging you can get that out of your flexible packaging too Man, I'll tell you, this has been great. Okay, so we've got one more short segment coming up. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. Andrew, we're going to be back for our nine-minute segment to wrap up today's show, but I'm absolutely having a blast. This is great. This is a wonderful, wonderful interview, and I'm so glad you're here. So sit sit back, everybody. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thanks. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. You've got a great product and it's now on the store shelves at all the major big box retailers. So what's the problem? You are getting squeezed. Cost reductions are demanded from the retailers and they are not letting up. So what are you going to do? You can give in and watch your margins disappear and hope you can make them up with other clients or with other products. You can say no and watch the retailers make deals with your competitors. Or you could say yes, because you've discovered a way to increase your margins and even get lost margins back. At StandUpPouches.net, we live and breathe flexible retail packaging. We have factories that can run as few as 5,000 pieces and scale to millions without any change in quality. We are ISO 9000 and ISO 14000 approved and offer complete supply chain solutions using our Ohio warehouse. Your retail packaging is the voice of your brand. Don't use inferior packaging. 
Choose packaging that not only protects, but keeps products fresher for longer while building your brand. To learn more, visit us at www.standuppouches.net or call us at 866-440-2123. Great leaders today have certain capabilities that set them apart. These leaders have discovered transformational leadership. Now you can discover the same ideas, insights, and programs that have led them to success. Inside Transformational Leadership, hosted by Kate Ebner, is produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. We'll explore these stories and concepts every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Ditch the Box with David Marinak. If you'd like more information about our program, send David an email to david at standuppouches.net. That's david at standuppouches.net. Now, back to Ditch the Box. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Ditch the Box. We are talking with Andrew Cousins. We're going to finish up our our time today. We've got a nine-minute segment, so let's just stay with where we were going with that, too, Andrew, as far as um, this great, innovative, new no, it's not new, but I mean packaging and flexible packaging and, and, and such great advantages of using this over that tired, tired and stale and stayed um, um, uh, rigid packaging, if you will. One of the things we were talking quickly at break, and, and I want to make sure we get this in because I think it's so important, is the recyclability of flexible packaging and the environmental impact of flexible packaging versus the rigid packaging and some of the others. So let's t- let's pick up from there. What are your thoughts? What are you seeing happening overseas, if you will, in that world? Well, the, probably the biggest difference uh, that I see here is that for every bag of trash that your average household creates, you have to pay. You have to go down to the, the local post office and buy a sticker uh, depending on how many kilograms or liters your bag is. So that means every bag of trash that comes out costs you. So naturally, you're looking for ways to move as much as you can elsewhere. You've got your, your trusty uh, PET bottles, which you have uh, depots for. Uh, but a lot of the other things, uh, your heavy polyprops and things like that, your, your uh, industrial, your uh, uh, kitchen cleaning chemicals, you can't do anything with this. And it takes up a tremendous amount of space. So you've got a, you've got a drive to, to use something that is just more compact after you've finished using it. Now, when it comes to actually recycling, even in Switzerland here, we're pretty advanced. But 10 years ago, it wasn't so much. It's still downcycling. Even with your, um, with your PET and a lot of stuff, they crunch it all together, melt it up, and turn it into basically black bags or one-way yeah, pallets. They turn, it, they turn it down into, into something like that. So there is a process, but it's not technically full recycling, like what you can do with aluminum or something. Now, when it comes to, to flexible packaging, uh, you, uh, you've got the whole chain. When you see the amount of trucks on, on the, the road here in Europe, you can, the amount of miles and the liters of diesel uh, or gallons of diesel that get consumed transporting fill and empty packaging around is incredible. So you've got now uh, a drive to save energy in the whole chain. You've got an amazing amount of volume. When you're sending canisters, be it for shampoo or conditioner, or for floor cleaner, when you're sending these things around before they're filled, you're just basically you've got this huge rig just transporting air. Right. And then 
once the thing is empty, you've got to get the, the person has got to take it to the recycling center. Now, with your flexible pack, and if they don't, then it ends up in the landfill as basically volume. That's a huge problem where we have no space here. When you do it with flexible packaging, uh, it's the same materials. You've got in your standard PET bottle, you've got uh, PET and you've got polyethylene. It's the same in your average pouch. Now, the recycling is not exactly the same process, but it's still downcycling. You can take a, you can take a flexible pouch and you can turn it into a pallet. You can turn it into uh, black bags. And right. this is still growing. What I see, the biggest drive, like well, recycling is, you could say it's for it's me around the world, it's still something relatively new. You look down in South Africa, uh, where I come from, uh, the first recycling trucks I saw on my block were only in 2010. I've never seen them wow. before. Wow. Um, so for me, if in here in, in Switzerland, where I have to pay for every bag of trash I put out there, like I'm going to go for the kind of packaging that's the most compact, it's the lightest, and that is with, and that is the the how should we say society choosing uh, flexible packaging over rigid because there's just less mission, and as a result, you're just saving energy the whole chain through. Stay with stay with that for a quick second, just to uh, to clarify. When you say you have to buy a sticker or a token or something like that from you know down at the local post office, is that for all trash or all recyclables? What is that? Because it's a little different here in the states. I just want to clarify. Yeah, what you have, I guess you you what you put outside on on the street is uh, basically you you got three things. You can do uh, your trash, which you need a sticker for, uh, and what's free is cardboard and paper. Got it. Uh, but uh, all plastics, uh, you have to take yourself to a center, be it a shopping center, um, where you can put it into these big containers. The same with, with glass. You've got to take it down to, the, to a, a center and, and chuck it in a, in a container. And that's naturally for free. But uh, if you don't do that, then you just crush it and put it in the bag. So there's, well, there's no pickup for plastic at your home. Okay, because they they do that here in the states, and it's it's interesting too. Again, we're talking about you know a, a bigger country here in the U.S. versus Switzerland or you know whatever. But what I'm getting at is um, the landfills and the trash and getting rid of the trash and all that other kind of stuff is such a it te- you you've got to be committed. It, it doesn't the thing that still happens here in the states is that you've got one town that that embraces recyclability. Uh, and one town that just doesn't do anything, or one town that emphasizes it, and it's and the whole community's involved, and people pick it up, and people take it to the recycling center, or they 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 gather it at least, and and then you've got another town that just throws it away with the regular trash, and that's one of the biggest battles that they have here in the states is that, um, it, I mean again and and again it's eventually going to get there because flexible packaging is not going away. But the problem is, is that you've got to have buy-in from everybody. And until the whole government or until the whole community, until everybody is committed to it, you only get part of the way there. And it's just so frustrating because flexible packaging really could be a key driver in, in, in recyclability for, for, frankly, the environment to come. No, that's I totally agree, Dave. Like. Uh... Uh, you could say recycling is a little bit of a, a, a first world world problem, uh, but if you put your finger on it and you create a package that is beneficial, you could say even if you don't recycle it, like the average pet bottle, if you don't recycle it, you're just taking up space. If right. you're a bit lazy and you put your uh, your refill pouch in your bag, it takes up the same amount of space as your average envelope, and that yep. is straight away. Even if 
the worst town uh, in the county doesn't do anything, that immediately is a saving. If you look at the cubic kilometers of trash that we generate, right. this is just fantastic. And just again, the massive, and I'm staying right with with where you went there with that too. Just the the massive loads of trash that we see, um, even if we're only focusing on plastic that people just throw away with their everyday trash. And goodness gracious! And then they quickly, of course, and I know I'm jumping on a bandwagon. I know I know you've heard this from me before, but it's so frustrating because immediately, at least at the landfill here in the states, the first thing they do with all trash, I don't care whether it's you know however it gets to the landfill. They bury it completely, and you can have the fanciest, um, you know, a- additives or materials that the, that that whatever packaging is made from. And the, if you immediately bury that, and it takes away the sunlight exposure, and it takes away the air, nothing is going to biodegrade anyhow. Now you've got a mountain of trash that's buried 500 feet in the ground that's going to stay there for the next hundred years. And it's God, it's frustrating. It's crazy. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, when you look at, when you go down to your shop and you actually look at packaging, you've got to realize that it's, it's one, often one way, that it's actually making trash. So the right. whole line needs to be taken care of. But biodegradable, that's, a, that's another topic uh, that's very interesting. It gets people very excited. Uh, but you've got to realize that the biodegradable stuff isn't going to look after the contents often, at least today's Correct. Day, as well as the, the latest. So you end up saving a few uh, kilograms or a few pounds of uh, plastic, but you end up throwing away a few thousand tons of whatever the product was that is now spoiled. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Oh, man. We c- All right. So let okay. me just, may, I'm just going to make the offer right now. Would you yeah. come back, Andrew? Because I want to stay. It's like, A, I'm talking with an old friend because I am, but B, it's fun because we're talking the same language. You know, I'm, we're not we're, you know, again, this has been such great fun to just share these ideas, but you hit something that I'm going to have you back specifically to talk about the biodegradable world because it's just like, that's crazy. And everybody jumps on that, but you're spot on, spot on. Right. Well, I've got to wrap us up, my friend. So I hope that you'll accept my invitation um, for, to do this again. That's great, Dave. Absolutely. You just, just give me the time and the place and I am ready. <laughs> you're the best. Thank you. Andrew Cousins, well, uh, thank you once again, and I'd like to thank our producer, Jamie Berling, and our executive producer, the incomparable Winston Winnie Price. Stay tuned next week for another edition of Ditch the Box. Remember, everybody, it's your product. Package it properly. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Ditch the Box. We're live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. Please join David Maranak for another great show next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 